morning, City Hope. Everybody doing good? Yeah, it's good to see you. I know you're excited about school starting back. The parents are. Uh, that's uh, right here now. So uh, I want to say welcome to uh, our campuses. Malva's campus, what I'd like for you to do is to let's, I want us to give a big shout out to the Mobile campus, the Foley, the Baymanette, and the uh, Holman guys there in Atmore. Let's Let's give them a big shout out of, yeah, we love you. <clears throat> well, this weekend, um, we've had to turn the air conditioners down. If it gets a little cold, endure, it will heat up. But the last two services, when I said something about the topic, uh, the oxygen was sucked out of the room immediately just something about when you talk about money or sex people freeze you know it's like ooh, it's awkward so uh, we're in the fourth part of this series kingdom culture and uh, I, I do want you if you have your Bibles to turn to Romans 1 and then also to Psalms 51 we'll end up in Psalms 51 the subtitle is whose sexual design do I believe whose sexual design do I believe and we're in this series we've been in the book of Daniel if you've missed any of these, you can go online, listen, and catch up. I want to go from the platform of where I was last week in there, where we were looking at the three Hebrews being thrown into the fiery furnace. And Jesus shows up. He saves them. And, and understand that the, the, uh, the bottom line of Daniel being thrown in the lion's den, God shutting the mouth of the lions, that was opposing the worship of God. But the fiery furnace and the three Hebrews that were thrown in that, that, that was about worshiping something other than God, that's man, because they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to worship this image. And so they're thrown in the furnace, and of course God protects them. Jesus shows up. Their response to the king, I like that response, and, and when they basically said, King, we, we're not going to serve your gods. Just let you know, we will, wor we will not worship the golden image that you have put before us. Now, I want you to understand in this series, Kingdom Culture, we have been looking at the culture, the Babylonian culture, the culture that these guys have been taken into from captivity. That culture today still exists in the form of a spirit. So there is a spirit. That spirit affects our culture that we live in. It, it affected them when Nebuchadnezzar was there and the three Hebrews and Daniel were there. And so what, what I want you to see is when, when, we, when we look at this, the culture has the tendency to show us or teach us, and we're not realizing what's going on, and we just fall into that, and we just say, well, that's what everybody's doing, that's what's the norm, that's, this is the 21st century kind of thing. So I want you to understand that when we look at this, we're looking at it from a spiritual. It took place in the natural, but there's a spiritual thing going on then when it happened. And I want you to see that it's still here today. It, it, it hasn't gone away. It's still here. And we need to know the difference in the kingdom culture spirit and the Babylonian or, or the world cultural spirit. Now, so I want to start off with this question for you, especially if your parents and your kids are still home. Are you talking about sex with your kids these days? Have you had the talk? Are you on, is it an ongoing talk? Because sometimes, well, we don't know what to say, so we don't say anything. And then sometimes we don't know what to say, so we say the wrong thing. And our culture that we live in today is talking about it every day. Your culture is talking about it every day that we live, from social media to the, to the TVs, to the computer, everything. It's, it's there. 
it's talking also about how we, the church, talk about it. So now, the way we talk about sex with our mar- in our marriage, with our family, with our children, it's coming under greater scrutiny. And, and, and this, is, this is true whether it's about same-sex marriage, sex outside of marriage, or marriage itself. Now, I want to say this, and I, I want to say I've said this before years ago. I haven't said it lately. I want to say this and for several reasons, and I'll tell you the reasons in just a minute. So l- let me go ahead and make this out front because I don't want you to think that this whole message is directed toward this, because it's not. So, for the record, I believe that the context God designed for sex is between a man and a woman, married to each other for life. I know that, as your pastor, I know that we have practicing gay people who attend our church, and you are welcome to our church, and you can tell all of your gay friends to come to our church. You are welcome. I have had the opportunity of meeting and knowing a lot of people who are in the gay lifestyle. I've been able to minister, talk to them. I've, they've been kind. I've, I've never had anybody I didn't dislike. I mean, even though I disagree with the lifestyle, I still, uh, I, I still know that the view that I hold is becoming uh, of a small minority, and I understand that. And that's why I'm convinced how we talk about sex needs to change in the church, in the home, because I think a lot of it is left unsaid because we don't know what to say, and that just produces more confusion, more doubts. We're not sure what to do, and so you, you learn from the culture. In this series, we have discussed many issues of the culture, and, and we're going to do that again today, and you have a decision, everyone. No one can make you. You have a decision as to whether to follow God's design for sexuality or you follow the culture's design. And that's what I want to show you. We're going to discuss this. God created this amazing thing called sex, and he's not red-faced when we talk about it, we teach about it. He's not. And and, and here's God's ideal about it. He, he, He wants us to enjoy sex. And not one man said amen. I'm going to say it again. God wants us to enjoy sex after we're married. I sure didn't get an amen there. (laughs) So, let me say this. If you do not help your children answer the correct question about sex, they will have the answer to the incorrect question. So, what is the question? What is it that your children need to know? What is that question? It's this. How can I glorify God with my sexuality? Because the culture today, the culture in Paul's time, the culture in Nebuchadnezzar's time, and Daniel, it, it, it was defining sexuality. So how do I glorify God with my sexuality? God designed us this way. It's not an accident. One of the strongest motivators in our body is sexuality. He gave us the gift, and the culture has distorted. And listen, it started all the way back in the very beginning in Genesis. We're going to talk about that. It has distorted that, and we need to understand how this works. So the goal for me as a parent was for me to get to my kids before the world did, because I knew if the world did, if that conversation happened in the locker room, happened at a slumber party, if it happens out in the woods hunting and fishing, then it wouldn't be what I would want it to be. I I didn't want the world to get the message to them first because I knew it would be distorted. It wouldn't line up, and it'd be twisted in some way. So the Bible, here's what the Bible did. The Bible actually, God actually predicted that there would be a generation that would have a distorted view of sex. 
and not just in sex, but in a lot of different things. And this generation, they, they would have its, you know, the, the thinking would be pretty well twisted. They're thinking in a lot of areas. The bad part is they would think they are right. And if you missed, missed last weekend's message, I talked about a generation in our time that grew up not knowing right from wrong, not, not understanding that. So they, they would think, well, this, this has to be the truth, and everything else or anything else is being said, that's old school. That, that, that's, you know, that, that, that's outdated. That's, this is 21st century. So they would think they have the truth, and everything else is outdated. So in Romans 1.21, here's what Paul wrote. Yes, they knew God. The word knew, here's what it means. Let me give it to you in an updated version. Yes, they went to church. Yeah, they attended church. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people or birds and animals and reptiles. They knew God. They went to church. And, and listen, this fits us so well, being in the heart of the Bible Belt. They went to church not, not to see if God could change them. They went to church because that's what you do. That's the way you were raised. It's tradition. It's what you're taught. Well, you go to church on Sunday, and you know about fire insurance, so you want to make sure you have a fire insurance so that, you know, you keep that part light. So, okay, I've been trained to do this. It's a habit. I need to go do it. Let me go to church. But they didn't take, they didn't allow God to change them from the inside out. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him, which means they wouldn't buy into his ideas. They wouldn't buy into his ways, neither would they give him thanks. So they began to come up with their own ideas, and they were foolish ideas, and, and they redefined morality. Culture today is redefining morality. And so they're, they're thinking, well, I'm not going to do it this way, and this is the prediction that would be a general, we're not going to do it that way, we, we've got our own way, we've got it figured out. As a result, of, a result of that, the Bible predicted their minds would become dark and confused. I think we live in that generation. I really do. Claiming to be wise. And, and listen, our world thinks it's wise about, that it understands and knows everything about sex. So I wanted to see how much the world thought they knew about sex. So what I did is I went to Google search. I put in one word, sex. I wanted to see how many responses it would give. Of course, can't, can't see anything, but I wanted to see what the responses were. And 1,690,000,000 sites. Now, I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm just saying that that's what our world is telling us. They, they know. They're claiming to be wise. Instead, our culture has become utterly foolish. And the results, here, here are the results. We're all messed up. We are. This, the fall of man, I'm going to show you. It started with Adam and Eve. I'm going to show you. It, ha, it affects all of us. It has a way of affecting us. And they, here's what this generation will do. They will trade truth about God's design for a lie. And in this message, I'm going to expose three lies of the enemy. I'm going to show you three truths from God. And, and I want you to understand this, though. I want you to understand that you're the enemy of your soul, Satan, he cannot directly affect you. He doesn't have the ability to directly affect you. If he did, he would have already taken you out. Here's what he can do. He has the ability to put a thought in your mind, to deposit a thought, and if he can get you to hold on and to start to believe that thought, then that thought will eventually harm you. And here's how it works with children. I didn't know this until <clears throat> after I became an adult pastor, uh, that Billy Graham had made a statement. He made this statement. He said that the, the perfect timing for a child to come to Christ, make a spiritual decision, seven, eight years old. 
It's just perfect in their being. You know, their, their innocence, they can, there's enough understood. Well, I, I did a teaching years ago as a children's pastor to, to some of the leaders, and it was this. I said, hey, the enemy, his target age for children is seven or eight years old. And here, here's what he does, okay? Because remember, he doesn't have the ability to take them out. He has the ability, though, to drop a thought. So that child, if something is said to that child, something is done to that child, if it's abuse or if that child sees something he shouldn't see or she shouldn't see, anything, he has an opportunity then to deposit a thought in their little minds. And then when they become older or they become a teenager and some of these things are there, half his battle is over because he can start working that from the inside out. Because the enemy's only chance to stop you and harm you is from the inside out. And so all of these things, and, and that's what he does. You, I, 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 I know you love your children, but I want you to understand something. The enemy hates your children because he, he dreads the day that, there, that there's another Abraham. He dreads the day that there's another Paul. He dreads the day that there's another you know, Simon Peter. He, he, he doesn't want that to happen. He hates our children. But that's how he operates. That's how he operates with us. And, and, and so here's what a lot of us did. We grew up, and we have a lot of wrong information about sex and things that have been deposited that way. And so what we have to do as an adult, we have to learn and change and, do, and get some things right so that we have it right. So his whole tactic is not, well, I'm coming, with you at a, coming to you with a pitchfork, and I'm going to take you out. No, he's to put thoughts in your mind to mess you up. And listen, he can't put anything in your mind that's truthful because he is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. There's just no truth in him. And by the way, when you tell a lie, you resemble that father. That, that's who you resemble. There is no truth in him. He's the father of lies. So I want to expose a few lies. And, and, and I think this, I really think, and I, I, and I hate to say this because I'm not trying to give the enemy any, any, any glory, but, but I, I think the enemy's doing a better job in our world about taking his thoughts and imparting them into the culture than we are as the church. I think the enemy's more successful. I, I think he has more money. I think he's working harder. And, and, and you see, it's not like when, we, when I grew up, it wasn't just, you know, you, you, know, you had to, if you wanted to be exposed to things, you had to look at it and or go find it and, and, and search, and it wasn't much. But now, you know, you can, you can read a magazine at the checkout at the grocery store that you want your kids to read because it's making statements, you know, like how to have incredible sex with a man, whether he's your husband or not. You know, it's like, you, you, that's crazy. And a kid, you know, they don't need to read. Anybody, any age can do that. And not to mention now that the Internet, that the average age of a kid exposed to Internet porn is eight years old. And 80% of those, that happens while they're doing homework. They're innocently. Here's the enemy. They're innocent. And then this happens or that happens. And so, you know, it, 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 it's happening. He's working harder. He's getting his message out. And, and we need to change a culture that's been affected by this. And all of us, single, married, we share the same challenges. And what I want to do in this message is emphasize the life that wins, wins on the maker's terms. So let's go to Genesis. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, it's going to be okay. Everybody okay with this? Okay, and if your kids are in here, I'm not answering their questions. You do. Sorry. Genesis 2.25, and they, Adam and Eve, were both naked. The man and his wife were not ashamed. God created them. They didn't have any clothes on. Not, how, not sure how long it went before the fall of man, but they didn't have any clothes on. They weren't ashamed. And, and, and God saw everything. That's when he saw everything is when he put the man and the woman together, and he saw it, and he said, this is good. And so you, you are a, here's what I want you to see. You are a sexual being. God made you sexual. 
not the culture. God made you this way. It's not an accident. You're a sexual person. And, and, and when it's in God's guidelines, in his guardrails, then it's, it's, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. So what happened is after the fall of man, here's what comes is the shame of sexuality. And, and, and so in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave to her husband, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So look, here they are, husband and wife. They're naked. They're not ashamed. They're doing, this is the way God created them. They take of the fruit, and they're walking with God in the garden every day, and, and, and they're naked. They're not ashamed. It's not that at all. So what happens is when they sin, the first attack is on the sexuality realm, and shame hits this. They immediately take leaves to cover themselves up. And by the way, they cover up their genital parts. They're covering up these private parts from each other. And they, you know, they've been together for, for months or years, whatever it is. And then here comes God, and they've been walking with God this way. What did they do? They run out in the bushes and the trees and hide from God. So here's what I want you to see. They hid this area from each other and from God, and that's the conspiracy to take this area of sexuality away from God and out of the context of a marriage and put it in the darkness and be ashamed of it. So why does the devil want us ashamed of this subject? Well, in chapter 3, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord uh, among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out to Adam and said, where are you? I, well, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. I was afraid. This is the God that created them. This is the God that was there. He's the one that's been talking to them. He's the one that said, hey, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. This is the God walking in the garden with them, and now they're afraid of him. This is what the devil wants. Verse 11, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you? You should not eat. Sin will always allow the devil to lie to us. Temptation is a lie. He's advertising something illicit. Hey, you, God didn't mean that. God didn't say that, and, 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 but it's not going to happen. So he told them if they eat the fruit that they would die spiritually and physically, and he said, no, that's not going to happen. Of course, it did 900 years later physically, but spiritually immediately, as soon as they sin, then here's, the devil flips it over, and here's what he says. Oh, wait, there's something wrong with your sexuality. You better cover yourself up. Don't let her see you. Don't let her see him. C cover yourself up. Oh, and here comes God. You better go hide. He, he, he turns it, he flips it, and then God came to Adam. He said, who told you were naked? Well, Satan did. He told me. So if you get your information from God about sex, you'll not be ashamed of it, and, and, and it'll be beautiful, and you'll be blessed, fulfilled in life. If you get your information from the enemy, you'll be ashamed of it. You'll hide it. You'll be in fear, not fulfilled. God's gift of sex it, it, to them now has been destroyed. Here's why. Watch. This is how it worked. This is what the enemy knew. He understood that it is a control mechanism. The reason he targeted sexuality as his primary target in the fall of man is because this. When the devil controls sex, he controls everything. If he can control sex, if he can control the mindset of sex in a culture, he can control everything. So guess what happened? Three chapters later, the world is, uh, the, the morality of the world is upside down. God's repenting he ever made man. He's ready to wipe them off the face of the earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in, in, in chapter 6 and verse 9, Noah pleases God, and this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Here's what perfect means, morally right, full of integrity. 
And, and that, that's, that's Noah. So Noah walked with God. And, and so when the devil conspires against us sexually, we can be ashamed of it. We want to hide it. It goes into darkness. When it goes into darkness, Satan grains power and position over that. And so you take it in an individual. You take it in a marriage. And then you take it in a society. And then the whole culture is operating like this. So the, the devil has control of the issues of sexuality in our culture. So in marriages, with children, in society, it's causing corruption. The, you know, and, and this is what he wanted to do. So here, here's the first question I want to answer before I get to the three lies and then the three truths. Why does the devil attack sexualities with such vengeance? Why was this the first thing on his radar? Number one, anything hidden in the darkness, Satan controls. He wants you ashamed of your issues. And maybe you're innocent. Maybe you're that innocent kid. Maybe you didn't understand, but he got that thought in there, and corruption started, and ideas started. And so you want to hide it from God. You, you don't want anybody to know about it, so you live with it. Number two is to keep us in shame, because if I'm in shame about an issue that I have, I won't communicate with God, and, and, and I, I won't talk to God. He said, the Scripture said they were both naked. The word in the Hebrew means totally exposed. Now, I know what that means in the physical, but what does that mean in the other sense? It means this. They didn't hide anything from each other. Everything was open. It was open communication, talking about this, talking about that. Even with God, God comes into the picture, and they're talking to him. They are completely open. And so after the fall, they hide from each other. They're, they're not open. They're not open with God. And, and you see, the Word says that God loves people who speak truth in their hearts and that we walk before God in truth. God simply will not walk with us if we are dishonest and we're not going to be honest and truthful. And so today we're under attack sexually like never before. And what I want you to understand is you don't have a prayer. You will be defeated if you're not able to go to God with this issue. You can't do it alone. You have to go to God. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to think. You can do it alone. So when we sin sexually, the devil tells us God's disgusted with us. This is the last time. I'm not going to tolerate it. But my Bible says, the Word of God says, I have a high priest who can sympathize with my weaknesses and that he was tempted in all manners. And the Word says that I can go boldly to God's grace and to his throne, and I can receive. So regardless of how old you are, regardless if you're single or you're married, uh, un understand this. We, he, he still attacks us sexually. Why? Because we are sexual beings, and we live in a fallen world. And, 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 and the devil attacks us in this area, and if we hide it from God, then, then you know, we, we start to believe, well, God doesn't care. He doesn't understand, so why do I need to talk to him about it? And, and here, here's the unique thing about sex. It's the only unique feature about marriage. Everything else in marriage, you, you, you do with family and friends and eat and this and social and talk and all that. But this is the only thing that, that's unique between the two people, and it increases the wellness of a marriage. So in marriage, if it's that important, then we need to talk to our spouse. We need to talk to our children. And no one has as much influence on a child than a parent. You have the influence when they're young. Someone told me late, or, or, in one of the services said, I, I wish I'd have talked more when they were eight than trying to talk when they're 15. I said, yeah, but don't stop talking just because they're 15. Keep talking to them. But, because, you see, they're going to listen to you. They're, they're going to listen. You have that influence, especially at eight years old. They're going to listen. They're gonna, they're gonna, they won't understand it, but you're, you're putting seeds in that are truthful seeds coming from dad, from mom, so that when the enemy does come and try to put something in there, those kids in their innocent faith, they know that's not right because daddy said, that's not right because mama said. 
But if we're not talking about it, we're living it in the dark, then we're just hoping that they, we, we, we just hope it works out. We, no, the culture's going to teach them. The culture's going to, and, and it's not just like it did when I was a kid. It's different now. Because now the culture, they're, all their friends are telling them on social media. They're all telling them what they think and what they are. And, and, and listen, kids don't know. They, they, they're immature. They have no idea. They, they, they're just going with the flow. They, they're just following a cultural flow. And, and, and you see, here's the difference. Here's the difference. Is these kids, they need a cause. They need to understand the purpose. And the one who's going to tell them is not necessarily a pastor standing in a pulpit. Who's going to tell them is going to be a parent that's going to sit down and be honest and ongoing from seven, eight years old on up and talk about it and keep it open so that they know the right and then they're, they're not going to be ashamed of it if they have an issue or a problem or a question, they can come to a parent. And, and here's the third reason he attacks it, is to destroy marriage. The enemy hates marriage. Uh, and I talked about marriage a lot last week. If you missed that, you need to listen to that. L let me tell you how America sees a marriage. America sees a marriage as a contract. If you see your marriage as a contract, you will not have the covenant blessings on your marriage. I've had people say, well, you know what, let's just skip going to the courthouse and getting the legal license, the contract, and let's just get married in God's eyes. No, the Bible says to obey the law of the land. So you need that, but that's not what brings the blessing. What brings the blessing is, is when you go into a marriage as one, and you become one, you're in a marriage, and now you have a covenant blessing with God. And in Malachi 2, it says that God's heart beats and is attracted to and wants every marriage to be successful. So every resource he has is yours in a covenant, and he'll pour it out to you in, in, in that realm. He, he, he just drops it in your lap. Why? Because he wants your marriage to succeed. The enemy wants to destroy it. So the spirit of covenant is to love forever and sickness and health and rich or poor. And, 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 and so sex is what consummates that relationship. It's the covenant seal of marriage. So when God sees the covenant seal of marriage, sex, it's very emotional, and he blesses beyond anything we can think. And, and so here's the deal. If you're living in adultery, if you're living out of God's design, God, God's not going to bless that. That's, that's sin to him, and you're not going to get the benefit. So when you make that covenant and you stay in it, you're going to be the most blessed human on the earth, and the covenant is the most blessed, powerful way to live. So I can tell you're really excited about this message, so let me go ahead and get through with this. <laughs> Three lies the enemy imparts. Three lies he wants you to believe about sex. Number one, sex is about some animalistic idea. Now, before you turn me off, listen. In our culture today, we see ourselves as animals. We're just the advanced type. And so this animalistic ideal is, well, I just can't help it. That's just the way God made me. Some excuse sexual behavior. I, I didn't choose this lifestyle. God made me this way. I can't help it. I'm just an animal mindset and and when the sense in the air I have to have it do, do you know the term the birds and the bees do, uh, the birds and the bees flowers and trees you know that term actually is a perverted thought and, and if you use that term with your kids you're, you're likening this to animalistic thoughts and ideas and 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 and, and that's not what it is and, you know the guys can relate to this better than girls but let me say it anyway I, I've never experienced this but I talked to somebody that has I, I've never been turkey hunting but I, a, a guy told me that in turkey hunting, you go out and you dress a certain way and then you make girl sounds, hen sounds. And the object is, is to get the guy turkey to come out 
and strut his stuff. So if he hears this and he comes out and he struts his stuff, his tail is up, his neck is white, and he's, th he's saying, hey, I'm the best one. I look at, take me, choose me. I'm the best looking one. Boom, it's over. <laughs> That's how I was. I've never been deer hunting, but, but, but I've been told that a buck, big bucks are very cautious and skittish unless there's a doe in heat around them. And then they don't keep their head up looking around. They keep their nose down, sniffing and saying, where is she, where is she? And boom, he's on the wall. <laughs> Guys, most of the animals that we kill, it's because the males are stupid. <laughs> and our society likens us to animals, okay? And so we act the same way. Can't help it. God made me that way. The sense in the air. Got to pollinate. You know, all of this stuff. That's what the world, but the world doesn't know. They, we're just in this category of trying to justify. And I talked about evolution a couple weeks ago in this series. We're just trying to justify that. Okay, here, here's the next, here, here's the second lie. Sex is about some activity, recreation, or sport you do. Even today in our culture, there are parents who promote environments that your kids can get in, and, and you know, we got to let them live, let them grow up, and they can do this, and they can do that. They can go on a spring break trip without me, and, you know, and, and then, well, you know, they're going to be sexually active, so let me go get them on the pill, and let me, just, just don't get pregnant, and don't get an STD. It's just for fun. It's just for sport. And so the message of our culture is this, with whoever, whenever, whomever, however, just do it safely, and, 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 and we, why are we in this condition? But that's the condition that the culture is showing your, your kids and your young teens. Number three, sex is an isolated event. Our culture says, yeah, you, you can do it and walk away, and you can do it again and walk away. It's in the context of the moment. Just do it and get over it and move on. Those are lies. And Satan's goal is not to get you pregnant or give you a disease. His goal is to mess up your soul. And when he messes up your soul, what you have is you have a part of another soul inside of your soul, and you're trying to keep things going. And if you just keep picking up all these parts, your soulish realm is going to be so distorted and so messed up. And, and, and so the Bible gives us the truth. The enemy gives us a counterfeit. Everything God gives us is a truth. It's for our good. The enemy always comes in with a counterfeit that's not going to do good because he's trying to hurt us from the inside out. And, and, and understand, the, the church has been too silent on this subject. The Bible is full of graphic scriptures about how to fulfill God's design of, of, of a sexuality and have a healthy sex life. God's message is different than a lot of churches. A lot of churches, the message is don't do it, stay away from it, be clean. God's message is, is do it. Yeah, that's God's message. I want you to do it. I created it, but, but I have some guidelines. And, 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 and I, want you to, I want you to buy into my guidelines and do it in marriage. And when you do that, then it's going to be incredible. It's going to be great. Just do it my way. And, I, I, you know, even in the natural, if there, if there wasn't a God or a Bible, in the natural it just makes sense, right? Come on, talk to me. Yeah, in the natural it just makes sense. I mean, God is for you. He wants the best for you. Now, those are the top three lies of the enemy. Let me show you God's truths about these top three. Number one, sex is for married people. God created this for married people, husband and wife. He created it for you. It works great when you keep it in the relationship. Why, why does he keep it in that place? <clears throat> because he knows it doesn't work outside that place. And listen, by no means do I want you to indicate this is you. But there's a lot of people listening to me right now, 
in your lifetime, you, you have stepped out of that realm. You have stepped into that realm, whether it's pornography, emotional attraction or addiction, uh, emotional affair or a physical affair or adultery or whatever, whatever, whatever. Here's my question for you. Don't, don't answer it. But any of, any of us that have done that, was your life better from that or was it worse? 100% of the time, it's worse. It's worse. It's always worse. Because you're picking up a little of this, you're picking up a little of that, and then you have to deal with the guilt and the shame. You've got to hide it. You've got to sneak around, all this stuff. And God says, no, here in this place is where I've designed it to be healthy and to be blessed and to be enjoyable to the fullest extent. And, and even with Adam, Adam is alone. It's not good for me to be alone. And I haven't found an animal that's suitable, Okay. So that should help you on this animalistic thinking. There's not an animal suitable. And so God put him to sleep, takes a rib out, and he, he built a woman. And all the men should have said, thank you, Jesus. He built a woman. And Adam noticed the difference. And he said, oh, oh yeah, 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 this is the best. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Here, here's why he said that, because here's what God did. God created this so that sexuality now becomes a bonding unit. And when it's consummated in a marriage, now the two become one. So when he sees you, he doesn't see. In the spiritual, he doesn't see two. He sees one. And in that one of that unity and no division and, and walking in this, there's power and there's authority that you can walk in. And that's the depth of the relationship. And that's why God says, that's good. I like that. I, I, I want that to happen. So your life is not better because you, you, you go beyond the, the, the guardrails. You know, some of you gone beyond the guardrails, you lost the marriage. Some of you, you, you your, your kids are not here because you went beyond the guardrails because of sex, and, and it's every other week, every other month, whatever it is. See, but understand, God is not against sex. He says it works here. And God is not against sex. Maybe the church has been against it in some ways. But God says, I want you to have it, but in the right place. Here's the second truth. Sex is the ultimate expression of intimacy. What most people don't understand is there's supposed to be greater things going on in a relationship than sexual things. E even in many marriages, it's been reduced to an activity, and they stay away from the intimate thing. And, and it's, it achieves this greatness in intimacy. Why? Because God designed this not only physically bond to people, but emotionally and spiritually bonding them together, putting them together as husband and wife, and that's beyond anything that an animal can do. Okay? An animal doesn't have a spirit. An animal is just it's a natural instinct. So you, that's just your natural instinct? You don't have a spirit? Oh, no, you have a spirit. And God said, listen, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, so I'm going to build you a, a companion that is suitable for you. And when the two of you come together, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have not only unity, but you're going to have a spiritual unity, and, then the, and the enemy is going to be afraid of that. He's not going to like that. That's why he hates marriage. He doesn't want that because when that happens, when that happens, you are are walking in a place of authority that nothing on this earth can touch. No, nobody else can touch it. And that's why marriage is so important. That's why it's the foundation of our culture. That's why it's important. But when it's divided and when he can take sexuality and he can drop this in, drop that in, drop that thought in, all of a sudden it, the, the unity is not there. So God has used this and, 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 and Paul even wrote a, he, Paul, Paul went to Corinth. Corinth was a city that 
had sexual things going on that would embarrass us today in the 21st century. He planted a church in Corinth, and he was, it was up to like 50, 60 people, and these people have come out of Corinth. Here's what Corinth was known for. It, 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 had a, it was a worship of idols and the worship of the sex goddess Diana, which in the temple there's this statue inside that went up, and it's a statue, and her enti- the entire statue is covered with breasts from head to toe. They, worship, they come into the temple, and they worshiped her, and then they would go to the temple prostitute and have sex and go out. So he's just, he has these people who have just come to Christ, they're born again, and he's trying to get their distorted view out. And, and so he, he, he says to them, don't you know that your bodies now, you're the temple, Christ is here, and why would the members of Christ want to unite, the, unite your body to a prostitute? And maybe they just said, well, hey, you know, it, it's just an activity. It's what we do. It's in the culture. It's in the, it's in the temple. It's this. It's, it's just a sport. And, and, and Paul said, no, what you do not know is that that you have united yourself with a prostitute is you know and you're one with her in body every one of us can go back to a moment especially men where we were first exposed to sexual impurity why can we remember that because God took a risk and he built us with this mind so that we can see and we can remember things but he did it because he took a risk that you would bond with the right person and look at the right person and be involved with them and and lay with that person and stay with that person and it was it was an isolated event it it wasn't everywhere and so you're not bringing this whole Pictionary into all of the pieces of that where you've lived outside of God's plan. Culture has distorted that, and culture says, "No, that's just fun. That's just our. That's just that's just the way it is. Just just do it and leave it." And, and the picture, the person, the activity stay with you. I don't care what culture says. The way your mind, you can go back. You can pull that up. You can you can you can force to pull that back up. So what, what's the third truth? Sex should be taken seriously. You've got to take it seriously. You've got to respect it. It's kind of like respecting fire. You know, that little match that's burning, that flame, it's like, oh, that, that's cute. That's like the candle, little campfire, whatever. But you know and I know that if that flame gets out of control and out of hand, it can burn a house down. It can burn people up. I mean, it, it, it can do things. I, I remember as a kid, a, a fire was started back, back in those days where we were living. There was a, a what was called a, a, a potato shed and a corn shed and it was it was a quarter of a mile long where they harvested potatoes and corn and all that and one end of that a little fire started and it torched that whole thing all the way down and I remember watching that as a kid watching that fire just just like wildfire just running down and just consuming that building that's that's what he's saying hey listen you you, you need to pay attention to this because if that flame gets out of control if it gets out of the the guardrails it it, it has the ability to 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 destroy and, and in other words you need to run from sexual immorality and here's what he did all other sins he put in a different category than sexual sins because this one is so powerful all the other sins are outside the body this one messes you up on the inside so he says get away from it run don't be, be careful don't do this and everyone of us has been affected by this we, we all have. The enemy wants to destroy you from the inside out. God's not restricted your life to some level of boredom. He wants you to live it full and live it to the best. And so here's the deal. Here's, here, here's where I am with this. And let me wrap it up. Is this. You get to choose. No one can make you, and no one should guilt you or, make, or put condemnation on you because you're this way or you're that way. You have to choose. You have to develop your own convictions. You have to say, I believe in God's design. But here's the deal. How, if you've not been in that design, how do, you, how do you return to it? 
How do you return to it? Because listen, if you've got all this stuff out here and you're married and you've got all this little stuff out here, you're bringing it into marriage. You're bringing it into your kids. You're bringing it into your house. So it's like, oh, well, I just thought, well, that's just the norm. That's this, that's that. I can't stop that little hang-up. Doesn't hurt anybody. This and this and this. And you're justifying it. Oh, no, 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 no. God says, listen, I've designed this, and it works great, but it needs to stay within this confinement. And if you want your kids to know the truth, and if it's in your heart, hey, this is a conviction of mine, you're going to impart that conviction to your kids, and they're going to grow up having a conviction. And they, they may be affected by the culture, and they hear things and all that, but inside of them there's a conviction that's set up that mom and dad instilled and, and that's what we want to do. So how do you return to God's design? Well, first you have to admit your sin. You have to repent. You have to change your thinking. You have to understand, I've got to change my thinking. Here, here's what David wrote, Psalms 51. He wrote, this, he wrote this after the affair with Bathsheba, after the baby died that she had, after he killed her husband, after the prophet Nathan nailed his hide because of, 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 of what he had done. History tells us that he's on his face for seven days, and he writes Psalms 51. It's an incredible chapter for you to read with, with anything on repentance. It's phenomenal. But he said in verse 1 to God, have mercy on me. Now, he, he stepped out of the boundary. He has stepped out of this boundary. He, 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 he knew it. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of, our great, of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me, clean me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. In other words, hey, God, I admit I don't need to do this anymore. This is sin, and I need you to wash me and cleanse me and get rid of this. And then here's the second part of it. Here's what you need to do. Admit your sin and then allow God to heal you. Because here, here's what we may not understand. Uh, you, you can go to God for a restoration of innocence. Not in the body, but in the soul. A restoration of innocence. Job 11:13. If only you would prepare your heart and lift your hands to him in prayer, get rid of your sins, leave all iniquity behind you, then your face will be brightened with innocence and you'll be strong and free of fear. So listen, I'm not sharing all this with you to put you in fear, especially even with your children. I'm not, I'm not sharing this for that. I'm sharing this with you so that if you are struggling with this, you can, with any of this, you can admit your sin, and then you can allow God to bring a restoration of innocence. When you have a restoration of innocence, and listen, I've seen it in so many people, in so many marriages, and it works. And buddy, when, when, when a man and a woman, when they want this restored, when a man or a woman, it happens because God's Word doesn't return void. It happens. But here's, how I, here's what I want you to see. And I probably could have just made, I could have probably spent just this 60 seconds of what I'm going to say now and not had to preach for 40 minutes, okay? And you probably wanted the shorter version. But I knew if I gave you the shorter version, you would leave, and I want you to hear the whole version, okay? So here, here's how it works out, okay? You want to know the bottom line? Anybody want to know the bottom line? Here's the bottom line. Listen, here's how God made you. He made a man with a vulnerability. Every man's vulnerability is sex. He made a woman with vulnerability. Every woman's vulnerability is security. So a man and a woman come together, and they become one flesh. They're united. How do they stay together? What keeps them together? Because we're opposite. We're different. You know, we're we, we, we just wired differently, and, and part of our brains don't work, you know, anyway. So, you know, it's like, like yours work. And so how, how does all that happen? How do you avoid all this? How do you stay in this place? Here's how you stay in the place. The vulnerability of a man is the sexual. So if a man decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to be a Christian. 
I'm going to be the head of my home as a Christ follower. What does that mean? That means I set the pace, I set the standard that we're going to love God in this house, we're going to go to church, we're going to worship God, we're going to read the Bible, we're going to give worship to God, we're going to do, God's, we're going to do things in our house God's way. When a man does that first, guess what happens to the woman's vulnerability? It closes up. Because now she is secure. And, and, and security, yes, there's the physical security of the house and the job and the income, all that. <clears throat> but there is a spiritual security that she has to have when she receives that spiritual security because the man is being the type of Christ, her vulnerability is closed up. And guess what she does? She automatically meets the sexual needs of the man. That's how God keeps us together. That's how he keeps us one. That, 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 that's the bottom line of it. So a guy, you, you just need to pursue and follow Jesus and love Jesus and all that. When you do that, you're feeling her, 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 her insecurities, and she's attracted to that. She's drawn to that. And, and, and when she's drawn to that, you come together, and then your vulnerability goes away because everything that you have need of is here. And then, listen, when you're in that place, you're not looking to what the culture says and what the cultural thinks because you have what it is and what it really exists, and it's confirmation in your soul. This is the way God designed it. This is the way God said, oh, that is good, and that's the way I want it. What have we done? We did it in, with, with Adam and Eve. We did it with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and Babylon. We did it in, in Paul's time in the New Testament, and we're doing it today. What are we doing? We're experimenting and listening to what the culture says because we are so bombarded with what it says. I'm telling you, put a filter on it. I'm telling you, guard your children. I'm telling you, teach your children. But I'm telling you, the most important thing is for you as a husband and wife is to get to that place where you are one in spirit and in unity. And when you are there, I'm telling you, God's blessings and his covenant will fulfill your, will fill your marriage and you will live a blessed life and the way God designed it. Amen? Everybody breathing? Sure. <laughs> okay. And listen, when you leave today, you, if I'm in the commons or whatever, you can speak to me. You don't have to. <laughs> I haven't talked to a lot of people this week. I feel so rejected. <laughs> it's like everybody just, I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> you know, I mean, what do you say? Hey, good message on sex, you know, whatever. I, I, you, you just say whatever you want to say, okay? <laughs> but uh, it's okay. We're, we're, all, we're all humans and we're all sexual beings. It's okay. We need to talk about it, right? So I want to pray for you. Your campus pastor will come and close up in a minute and challenge you to repent, challenge you to ask God to heal and get you back where you need to be. And let me say this to the parents, and I haven't said this in any service. Let me say this to the parents. For your children that are innocent, and they don't understand this. Even your teenagers, they don't understand this. They're just caught up in a whim. They're, they're following the trend. Why? Because nobody has told them a cause. What's the cause? What's the cause of this? Because this is the way God designed it, but here are the benefits. So here's the cause to stay pure. Here's the cause not to listen to everybody's opinion about what they think about sex or, or this or that and all of that. And, well, everybody's doing it and all that. You... you, you you put it in your kids. Your kids are smart and sharp enough. It, it'll be there, and they'll stand up for what they believe, but they have to believe it. They, they can't, we have to stop the generation that doesn't know right from wrong. We have to stop that. And if these are, your convi these are my convictions, and if, the, and if these are your convictions, 
Pour it into your children. Don't be intimidated. Don't be shy. Don't, don't because I'm telling you, if you don't do it, the culture's going to do it. And then here's what your kids will have to do. One day, they'll have to go back and correct what they've learned that was wrong. Or they live with what's wrong and just think this is normal. So parents, it's okay. Step up. Do it. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace you extend to all of us. And you know the tactics of the enemy. You know the lies of the enemy. And you know the extremes that has gone down. But you love every one of us. You, you love every one of us regardless of where we are, if we're outside the guardrails, if we're, if we're, if, if we're confused, if we're distorted. You, you love us all. And your desire is to bring us in. And I pray, Lord, that your word will impart truth and that out of that truth, as people take it, they develop their convictions about what you said and they start living out what you purpose in their lives so that your blessings will overtake their home and their children. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.